Welcome to Third and Nerd, the show that breaks down everything nerd culture with a little sports thrown in. On the show, you'll hear discussions about the latest superhero movies, TV shows, and comics as well. You'll even hear interviews from the artists and writers who helped create the characters you know and love. So strap on your super suits and fire up your flux capacitors, because here are your hosts, Josh Webb and Adam House. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Third Nerd. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Adam. Adam, how you doing today? I'm very good, my man. I'm very good. It's a good day. The sun is shining. It's not so cold here, unlike the last few days, and I have the day off, so I can't complain. Yeah, here in America, there's not been a mass shooting. We're very fortunate for that. You have to wonder about those every day. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's otherwise... I mean, there's been some major news happening. Nothing that we need to touch on this po- and not on this podcast. But yeah, it's been a it's been a wild kind of a a week, and I'm having a very mellow one. So I'm I'm happy to be doing that. And uh, speaking of mellow, we get to talk some comics, some novels, some acting with our guest today. And I'm going to, uh, Adam, do you want to introduce, I mean, do you want me to, in? how do you want to handle this, Adam? Cause you, cause you were doing some deep diving here. Oh, look, man, you know, I think you've covered the spread so far. I think we should just get into it and, uh, okay. and, uh, you take the reins. Go for All right. It. So our, our guest, Brandon T. Schneider has done myriad things. Uh, where, where to pin them down is, is, is very difficult. He has opined on social issues in the Cincinnati Inquirer. Uh, if you are a Marvel fan, which is how he came to, to us, he wrote both volumes of the Cosmic Quest, uh, which was the MCU's official tie-in novels to uh, Infinity War, and it's where the term the decimation came from. Um, he's also done a score of acting. Uh, really... I mean, this guy's way more talented than I think I'll ever be. But the, Brandon, his name is Brandon T. Schneider. I almost asked him a question without introducing him. I'm like, Brandon, how do you become a jack? Like, how does one just become a jack of all trades? Do you decide, like, I want to be a writer. I want to be a, a journalist. I want to be an act. Like, get, talk to me here. How does one have this badass lifestyle? Well, I, you have to cry a lot in front of the right people. Oh, I'm good for this then. To get as far as I've come, which is, you know, comparatively speaking, as far as anyone wants it to be. Um, but to answer your question, 
I I have a degree in theater, <laughs> which uh, is kind of, I guess, the genesis. Uh, I moved to New York to be an actor, and that was that. I mean, that is something that I still pursue, and um, I what. Uh, yeah. So I, I moved in here to be an actor and acting roles, as you may know, are not something that are easy to come by all the time, at least paying acting roles. And so what I found myself in was a situation where I was not being creatively fed. Um, and I have been a writer since I was a kid. I mean, I should say I, I, I've written since I was a kid and I wrote in high school and I wrote in college, but it was something that I as much as I would try to improve upon, it was also just for me. Um, I would write comic booky stories. I, I did like, I wrote and drew comic books uh, when I was a little boy that I would staple. And, you know, I did like super friends and Spider-Man is amazing friends and all this stuff. Um, but writing was always something that was very personal and it was for me. And it wasn't something that I necessarily shared with the world. So when I moved to New York city and I was an actor and I wasn't being given the the free creative freedom that I wanted from acting roles, I was like, well, I need to, I have something to say. I have something inside me to get out. And so I started writing sketch comedy. Um, I had taken some improv classes with Second City at the time, and I got involved in a sketch comedy, uh, sketch improv group. And that's where I started to begin to hone my craft and the craft of writing and 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 getting into a groove and finding my voice and that was sort of the beginning of that sharing my work with people performing my own work um, and it was very fulfilling and I sort of grew into a position where I wanted to do more and my friend Carrie Karenin who is um, an actor and voiceover artist she and I put together a series of one act plays called the Carrie and Brandon Show that we uh that we wrote produced acted in directed i mean i look back at what we did with that show and i'm like i don't know how we were able to manage all of that but we put it together um and it was a a, a success for us and a, an editor a friend of a friend uh saw my saw saw one of the pieces that i did was like a superhero low rent superheroes uh sort of comedy thing and saw that, passed my name to an editor at Meredith Publishing, who then contacted me to do some work on a Fantastic Four movie sound storybook. Now, for me, being a comic book fan and being a fan of superheroes, I was like, this is unbelievable. Like, I, I hadn't really tried to pursue professional writing um, as a career. And I was, as I was sort of developing my, my craft and, and, you know, wanting to do more, I also had no... Uh, you know, I had no published experience at that time. So to have this editor be interested in me and to offer me these, I was doing, you know, these rewrites on this book featuring the Fantastic Four. I got to go to Marvel and read the script. I was like, this is the most amazing thing that has ever happened to me in my life and it will never happen again. So I did that. The editor that I worked with uh, like my work and he was like, we're doing an animated, uh, there was that show, the The Batman, which was, uh, I don't remember what year that was. I want to say in like 2005, um, uh, the Batman animated show, the Batman, he was like, we're doing an, uh, another sound storybook and we want you to write it. So 
if you want to pitch me ideas, you can. And I was like, oh my God. And so I, it kind of, I don't want to say snowball because that makes it sound like it was, you know, this a shorter process than it was. But, but I wrote that, then I was hired to do Superman Return sound storybook. I met with DC about that. I met an editor, an editor who hired me to write a chapter book for Superman Returns. And I just slowly but surely began building this resume and developing my writing skills um, and superhero writing skills in a new way uh, that sort of put me in front of uh, editors and people who liked the work that I did, knew that I could do it well and on the deadlines that we needed to be on. And that was how I became, you know, that's how I first started, got it first got published um, in yeah, uh, like I want to say it was yeah. I want to say it was like 2005 was the first thing that I ever had published. That was a year. Um, I've got the, the cry. Yeah. Of the, I've got the cry of the penguin on on my bibliography. Yes. If that sounds right. Yes, it is, and it's it's kind of yeah. It's funny because 2005 even those, the, is correct. Okay, the early things that I did, I really thought were going to be one offs. Um, because I had no path. I didn't know how to keep getting these jobs. And then I would just do good work. And that ended up being how I would keep getting jobs. I would do work um, and work with editors and they would, you know, approach me about stuff. And then I would be able to pitch more of them. And then someone's, some editors would have an editor friend in another co company who said, Hey, I've got, I need a guy who can do this. And they would say, I got a guy. And that's how I started working at Penguin doing work for Cartoon Network books. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's, it's an uphill battle. Uh, a lot of the time there isn't necessarily, uh, I haven't reached an, a level of like comfort where I'm like, yeah, I mean, I have creative fulfillment along the way, but like, you know, it's writing, uh, writing is still an uphill battle, but that's just the way it is. I don't think that will ever change. I could make a million dollars and live in a, uh, you know, a mansion and I would still be faced with that same sort of like frustration and consternation and stress and all the things that go into crafting a story that you love and want to be good. So anyway, that is like my little bit of word. I mean, that's my, I don't know. I feel like I've talked for 10 minutes, but that's, that is a basic origin of my writing career. Everybody needs a good origin story. And it matters not if you talk for 10 minutes, because really Adam and I just tend to dominate anyway. And so every now and again, it's good for us to step back and listen because P and I are talkers. Um, but, uh, no, it's kind of fascinating because that really is, for those who don't know, like I, I feel some of, of what you said because you're talking to a guy uh, with honors degrees in sociology and, and master's in public administration, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, my, 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 uh, my master's thesis was, was on the BCS college football system, and uh, here I sit writing about comics. So – Life is weird. It's yeah. just, it's, it, it's, it's weird. And for those who don't know, it can be painfully impossible to get work and, and, and yes. strain. And, and you go through so many t like situations that people, 
One of the worst things that happen is that people come to you or you go to somebody with an idea and they're like, yeah, I like it. I like it. You wouldn't flesh this out for me. And so you do. And you take the time and energy to like put together this massive presentation. And then they take like 15 to 20 years to get back to you. And they say, no, nah, we're not going to do it. Thanks. Just like that. No, nah, we're not going to do it. Thanks. And then about a month and a half later, you see your idea in their print written by one of their people. Like mm. it is a problem. And and it's also a problem trying to get work too. Um but uh it, I you mean people know, don't I... understand the, the the kind of crap that writers go through. It can be it can be a, a demoralizing process at times, especially it, if you don't yeah. have a personality built for rejection or are a very emotional person, which I am. I take right. like every letter straight to the heart. You know, it's it can be difficult, definitely. I think there is sometimes, you know, there are sometimes when you, you have to shift the, the way that you think about yourself. You have to shift the way that you think about your work. You have to shift the way that you think about your storytelling. You know, sometimes, especially when you're working with people, with other people's characters, you know, there are reasons why the story that you want to tell will not get told that have nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with the story and nothing has to do, nothing has nothing to do with the quality so it, it sometimes it isn't necessarily even having to steal yourself. You just have to un, you have to go in knowing that if you have a story to tell, you you let you 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 express that as much as you can and know that there might be business reasons that stand in the way. You know, I was thinking about this recently um, in the in sort of my early days when I was getting hired for stuff. Um, uh, I, I because I was a fan, I was sort of outsider. I was sort of seeing myself as an outsider who's been given an opportunity. It was like I was a fan who was who is a writer instead of I was uh, what I had what I figured out that I had to be was a writer who is a fan because I had to approach the work from a writing standpoint, not a fan standpoint, because a fan standpoint is is very limited. And it's also limited in like ways we'll never understand. Fans also have different expectations. It's my job to tell the story. It's my job to make you care about these characters. And I can't do that if I'm if I'm filtering it through one kind my of um, lens. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I have to be a writer first and a fan second. And, and there's also this thing too, that, you know, I, so I wrote this book called the dark Knight manual and it was this book, uh, this like a uh, coffee table book that it's was like a written files was, for, uh, yeah, if it, yeah. anybody's read the Marvel files, it's basically like that for DC where it explains it all was, the gear and crap. Yeah. Yeah. It was Batman's, it was Bruce Wayne's crime fighting ledger from the the dark knight film so it has all these pullouts and sketches of things and like him talking about his tech and all these things right and this was the first time that i like i i was flown to la to go to the warner brothers uh lot to look at top secret stuff to read the dark knight rises script like that to me was this incredible like culmination of sort of like, oh my God, I'm freaking out and I can't believe that I'm doing this. I can't believe that I've been hired to this. Like, how am I going to do this? Like what? And um, the thing about that particular job is I had a very limited time to write it. And I, I had like 30 days uh, and I had to produce like 30,000 words um, among other things. So like there was limited time to do a lot of work 
And so that was really, I think, also where I, I sort of burn through all of my like, I mean, I still get excited about the stuff that I work on, don't get me wrong, and I still have like fan feelings, but I also like you have I had to strip that away really quickly with that job because I had so much work to do. I couldn't like stand on ceremony. I couldn't be like, oh my god, the dark knight, what am I gonna do? I was like, no, you just have to write it. You just have to do the work. And it's funny now, uh, like thinking I was I was watching some of the uh, the the behind the scenes stuff on the end game, uh, just like hearing the Russos talk about choices and things like that. And you realize that as much as that, you, you know, you love these characters, you're a fan, like there's a lot of work to do and there's a lot of stuff that you have to keep in mind. So, uh, you know, you get your tingles, your fan tingles where you can get them, but like, there's also, uh, you know, there's so much more to think about in those situations. And I, yeah, Dark Knight Manual, I was like, I, I was so excited to, to do the, the work at the beginning of that process. And then the rest, I was like, okay, so this is not a fan thing anymore. This is like, I've been hired to do a job. I have to execute the mission and I only have 30 days to do it. It's insane how quickly you can become detached from something if if the situation requires it. Or or at least I find the, the better writers out there are the ones who can detach themselves. Like, yeah, I'm a freak out about this guy, but okay, you know what, I... I can compartmentalize right now. That person doesn't exist. We're talking about something else. That's going to become another iteration. And I need to pay attention to what I'm doing with this. Otherwise down the line, it's not going to make any sense. And I'm going to look like an idiot. And I'm far less concerned about this guy than I am. How I look, it almost becomes selfish, but it's good. You, you need to be, you know, you just heartbreak is built into the creative process. And right. if you're unable to navigate that, you, 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 it will be an impediment. Um, and, you know, I got my heart broken last week over a project um, that uh, I, I got some, some, some things that were out of outside. My editor loved it. All the, you know, it, 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 this is the thing that I've also learned. Everybody can love what you do. And, Along the way, there will be business reasons that somebody will say, unfortunately, business reasons, and then it won't happen. And it sucks um, because when somebody's like, I love it, like when people respond to the work, they see it, they get it, they it affects them. They have emotional responses. And then somebody goes, mm, yes, but business, it can really gut you. Um, so you have to learn to sort of, you know, it doesn't mean that I, you know, it doesn't mean you won't feel something. It doesn't mean because you fall in love with the stories that you tell, but you have to, be, you have to get over it because we still need other stories from you. You know what I mean? Oh, indeed I do. Adam? Yeah. So with all that said, Brandon, like, and I guess removing like the fan component from it, which, which has been your favorite, like, uh, either DC or Marvel character um, to write about? I mean, you know, it's hard because I always say, like, I I never pit Marvel and DC against each other. Like, I guess I did when I was a kid, but... Um, and everyone's always, like, thinks that's such a milquetoast answer, but the I is just... They're different universes. They have different things to offer. And on top of that, you know, 
another it's thing like that Xbox I've been doing. PlayStation, you don't have to have just one. People, sure, you know yeah, <laughs> they're different universe. You know, people compare them because they're the two biggest superhero universes that exist. So everybody wants to know: Do you like A or do you like B? But they both offer different things. That's why they can coexist. Um, mm. They're, you know, they're they're not so so similar that they that one has to cancel the other one out. Um, I also, you know, there's this thing that I have noticed and been, I guess I should say not noticed, but been more aware of and cognizant of in the past, you know, five years as I get older is the role that nostalgia plays, not just in the, in the culture, but like in my choices. So, you know, and, and, and in the choices of other people, you know, that everybody wants to be like, oh my gosh, I, I love that thing. And a lot of times people don't love the things, it's just nostalgic reasons. It, does, it doesn't mean, it doesn't actually mean quality. It doesn't mean, you know, for, so for me, you know, sometimes I'm like, I have these impulses where I'm like, okay, that impulse may be, or may have originated because of a nostalgic thing. Like I like the, these X, X characters together because that was the thing they were together when I was a kid. Like, do I have a Spider-Man, Iceman, Firestar, Spider-Man and his amazing friends story? You bet I do. But that's because I saw them on this show. It doesn't necessarily mean that, like, it, you know, um, it needs to be told. It doesn't mean that it's, like, burning inside me. Um, having said that, you know, I, I have tried to uh, put... I've had, I've tried to like not overtly try to tell stories similarly to what I grew up with, but there are certain characters that I will put in different things um, because of those reasons. So like I put Firestorm in a uh, Justice League animated or Justice League uh, like chapter book that I wrote because I love Firestorm. I grew up with Firestorm, and so I was like, I'm gonna just give myself this because I will never be able to write. I'm sure Firestorm the comic book. So let me just put him in here. So I'm like serving these serving myself little bits and pieces while also trying to move things forward or keep it in the, whatever the universe. So, but back to your like question, it's hard to say, but I want to say, you know, writing the cosmic quest was a big deal for me because, you know, the, the Marvel cinematic universe is such a, a big thing. And I really got to tell the stories that I wanted to tell going into it. I knew what my parameters are. I mean, of course, writing books, you know, t tying into those films, like, you're not, I'm not, I can't, can't blow up the world. Uh, the narrative is being told in the films. So I am being handed a toolbox, but it is somewhat limited. So I have to look at that limited toolbox and look at what uh, the opportunities are. And one of the opportunities that I had was to create new characters. Um, that was something that Marvel, Will Corona Pilgrim at Marvel, like encouraged me to do, which I was really excited about. Um, and so it's stuff like that where I can, I can write a little bit of the characters that people know and then give my own voice and stuff to things when I'm being encouraged to do that. That's very special and something that I, I really appreciate, um, you know, working with big companies that could very, you know, it could be really easy for people to just, it's sometimes, um, just be like, execute the mission, just write what we need you to write. Um, but when you're encouraged and supported by, your editors and the people that you work with in creative capacity, I got to say, that's really great. And Marvel definitely did that. Uh, and little Brown who published it. Um, my editor, Mary Kate got at it. Like they were both, they were very, 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 very supportive of, um, 
you know, the humor too that I, from in the Cosmic Quest, it's kind of weird, which is my voice. And so, yeah, that was a really fulfilling thing. And it's weird also because it's gone. Like I, I promoted, I put, I wrote these books, I promoted them. And then all of a sudden all those movies are over and I'm like, oh my gosh, like what am I doing with my life? It was, it was, it was a huge chunk of time to be invested in those worlds. Um, and then it's over and it's like, where do I go next? I don't know. And they may be calling on you to write other worlds. They may. I mean, you know, um, I, the editors that I work with at Marvel Press um, are really great. And we are talking about new stuff. Now that all the things, well, no, no, not all the things, but now that more things um, since Comic-Con have been announced, um, you know, people will be able to put uh, publishing schedules together and know where things lay. So hopefully um, in the next few months, I'll have some uh, new Marvel stuff that I can announce, but we'll see. Cool. Adam, I know you wanted to talk about acting. I do. I do. Having a look at your IMDb filmography, Brandon, there is quite some diverse uh, parts in there. You know, I feel like there's got to be a few things in there. I haven't looked at it in a while, but I feel like if if you ask me about some of the things, I'm going to be like, uh, that was something I did a long time ago. Actually, I feel <laughs> like there's there are a couple things I did with my old sketch comedy group where we like we like made a quote unquote movie of our sketches um, and that somehow got, ended up on IMDb. And I was like, oh, you know, this is I hope no one sees this. And it's like, what? <laughs> well, I, I, like, I, I'll just go ahead and say there's a sketch that I was in called Gynecology by Candlelight. Okay, um, I'm interested. So I don't know if you saw that, but I'll just call it I, out right I, now. We can just get it out of the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, but then there's other things too. To ask about, but I did see it. <laughs> <laughs> so well, on that note, one of them, one of them that I think you will remember, I was a big fan of this show, and that was the Chappelle Show. Oh yeah. So. For those of you who aren't familiar with Brandon's filmography, you played a waiter in episode yeah. three of season two. Now, yes. I went. I was trying to think about what that could have been, like off the top of my head, and initially I thought it might have been the Samuel L. Jackson, Samuel Adams bit, but it wasn't that one. So I, I pulled out the DVD this morning and went back and had a look, and I hadn't even opened this DVD yet, actually. I... I because I used to catch it on TV and I bought the DVD moons ago and I haven't even opened it to rewatch it. And I'm pretty sure I've pinned you down in the skit with John Mayer. Ah, ah you did. <laughs> yeah. And you would, you would be in the restaurant scene, correct? Yes. Non-speaking of course, but yes. Now tell me if I'm right here. Were you the guy who bat the plate over your own head? No, I was not. I was the guy the that. The yeah, so like picking up all the pieces after white people dancing. So after the everybody goes nuts, they're like picking up the pieces, and I walk over to a table and I'm like ready to take their order, and I kind of sigh. I don't have a beard, and I have more hair than I have now. So like that. I mean, obviously this was like uh, in the early aughts. So yeah, yeah. I was a younger. I was a much younger person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Physically. Yeah, I thought 
you in the background with the, with the dark hair. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes, I thought so. Can you can you tell us about that experience, like just working on that show and, and even in just a bit role? I mean, you know, it was kind of amazing because, like, I was a fan of Dave Chappelle, and he was also just having this really big moment. Um, and so even to just to be on the show in that tiny capacity, he was really nice. Like we, he, uh, he introduced himself to me for a second and, and like, we didn't have a, like a long talk, but, um, yeah, it was just like, it was really, it, you also, I also saw a little bit about how t- television works. Cause at that time I hadn't done a ton of like television, um, right. And so seeing the way a set works and also seeing the way like a Comedy Central set works, like, you you know, you just see that you're like, there are times when you're as a younger actor, you just, um, and I worked as as a PA on stuff, but you just, you just, I I don't know, you have a different, you have a different idea of how things will be or how people will be or how, you know, especially, you know, you think like Dave Chappelle, oh my God, this is a comedy set. Like, but it was really chill and it was really cool and it was like, uh, very relaxed and you know people had a really good time and you couldn't really at that time you know he was having a moment but there was nothing about him and the way he interacted with the world that you that you would be like oh you know he's having his moment and you know uh, whatever like no he was like super down to earth and super chill and I mean and he's just like a he was a really funny guy right on. and yeah, John Mayer like- was really young I like I just remember too, like thinking back, I was like, that was like he was like a ba- everybody were ba- every, we were all babies. Everyone was a baby. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's that show. Like when it came out, obviously it, it, it was so uh, so applauded and you know so popular, and then it just went obviously the way it did. But um, it, it really does hold up and stand the test of time. Like when I put the DVD on this morning, I was watching some of the skits. I was, I was in almost in tears. You know what I mean? Like it's. Yeah, it's, it's a timeless piece of television, and it's cool that you I got mean, to be a part. Of it. You know, yeah, and there's also this sort of thing about shows from that period, especially comedy shows that still had this like mom and pop feel. They weren't necessarily polished, um, and that's what what I think people gravitated towards. And you watch them now, and you like you see it; it's a little bit unpolished, but you know, compared to, to other sort of sketch shows that might be produced now. Um, but there was a really great quality to have, especially in the way that they were able to, to, you know, get away with the things that they said and did. And it all came from an honest place. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I also, yeah, I just laughed a lot all the time. I bet. I bet. And so t- uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You're, you had a little stint on SVU before Chappelle Show or after Chappelle Show? That was after. That was just that uh, was after. one episode uh, where I played a guy at a protest. Right. And did, so you yeah, didn't have I was a waiting, movie. Adam, for you to be like, I remember that episode. <laughs> it was season 10, right <laughs> after, right after Elliot left the show. <laughs> you well, know what's funny? I, I, I did extra work on Strangers with Candy when I first moved to the city. And do you know Strangers with Candy? I do. Yeah. I All don't right. know. If, I don't know if Adam growing in a, uh, up in Australia will be as familiar with that. I, I don't. I don't think that would be something. Do you familiar it, with it, Adam? No, no, that one hasn't reached me here, unfortunately. 
Okay. All right. Well, so yeah, it's it hasn't kind of a yet, don't show. Worry. It's it's a weird show with Amy Sedaris who is crazy. Um, but like yeah, so I did. Those were like the first things that I did when I moved into the city, and uh, <laughs> I like I got really great like. Some of the things that I did that I got paid to be on, like the SVU and stuff like that, like where I got paid, I didn't have a line, like I, but I got paid as if I had a line because I, and then they cut all of the things where I was like present. So I just ended up sort of looking like I was background, but I wasn't like, I still get checks for that, like for like 30 cents. Um, but it's funny because like when I did those strangers with candy, like I got all this screen time and I was just credited as an extra or not, I should say uncredited. Cause I was just an extra. So even now, like watching, I'm like, Oh, there I am wincing in the background. Oh, there I am foaming at the mouth. Like I'm foaming at the mouth. I have a big close up. Um, whereas SVU, like I still get paid for that. And I basically did nothing on it. Uh, yeah. You're doing no work and getting paid, my friend. That's that, of course there was you know, work. There was work. 30, but. Thirty cents every six months is still it still counts. It does. It does. Something. There's definitely something. Dude, I get checks of those size. I won't say from where, but like when you when you're a writer, man, you you end up writing for these sites that where you get paid residuals, and sometimes you just get odd checks that roll in where it's like, cool, I made a dollar too, or yay, thirty six cents, you know. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, like, I didn't I didn't know that you could get residuals for like for that kind of stuff. It depends on the site that you write for. Like, if you get paid by the click, then it doesn't matter. As long as it's a unique click, you still get paid for it. Doesn't matter whether it's in the window or not. Like, so okay. if for some reason something you wrote, because uh, I also write about sports. So say something you uh -huh. wrote in sports becomes relevant again, you, you know, you can bring that uh, article back to the front. And more people click on it. You still get paid the same rate. It's just now you're getting paid for an article that you'd written in 2018 or something. So uh, a lot of sites in sports do it. I don't, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like instead of paying you like one whole thing, they pay you this different. It's really weird. Like being a sports writer is garbage. I'm just here to say, mm -hmm. don't do it. Boo, boo sports writers. I, I don't know anything about sports i mean i used to play baseball as a kid and uh but like i don't watch sports and every once in a while i'll go in for an audition like for a commercial where i have to be like a fan of something and i've booked i should say this i've booked multiple things where i have had to been uh, where i've been a fan I'm like so where i played like, football fan. i played a nascar fan i've played a basketball fan and like the whole time I'm like, I don't know anything about any of these sports, uh, but that is what acting is all about. Do you like, how, how does this go down? How does training for this go down? Like, do do you have any, like, do you have any friends that are sports fans that like help prepare you for this role? So like maybe not, maybe not so much prep you for the sporting part of it so much as no, don't say that. Definitely you know don't what? say Usually, that. Usually it's just an energy thing. Like okay. I have friends that watch games and, you know, like sometimes where I'm like, I don't even know what this is, but like, but, but if it's mostly for like a commercial audition, if it's something like a football fan, you basically just have to like go in and scream. 
So they'll be like, okay, so you're at a game and you're excited about this. And then, so it's just like me being like, get the ball. Like, yeah. you know, just like shouting crazy things. And that I always See, find this is where your friend things. Doug is like, dude, Brandon, it's hockey. It's hockey. I know, There's right? No <laughs> I did a commercial. I did a commercial with um, Jimmy Johnson, uh, the NASCAR driver. Right. Do you know? Okay. I, and I he, know. Well, there were two Jimmy Johnsons. I at first I was like, was he talking about the football coach or is he talking about the NASCAR driver? Because there's two that are famous here in America. Yes. So like, um, uh, there was one that was like. The uh, 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 he, he, he was like, uh, I don't know, God, like, I don't know. He was like, it was like he was having a moment. And so they put him in a, a Time Warner cable commercial. And so I had uh, part of the thing was all of his quote unquote, like his fans doing crazy right. things to impress him. And I was the fan that shaved his number into my chest hair. Oh. Okay. So I, that's what was about. My favorite so I, part was watching you struggle to say he was doing really well in the Sprint Cup series. And you're like, you couldn't, you could, like, you, this is how much you don't know about, like, you couldn't do it. Like, you just couldn't do it. I have no, at one point, I have, you had to run up the white flag. You're like, I, he was just having a moment. And it's instantly right people. then, I'm like, oh, okay. It was the year he was doing really, really well. I, like, I'm not it's an like, NASCAR I, guy, but I at recall. least knew what you were talking about there. I have recall with people. So I'll like try to remember their name and then I'll tell, I'll be like, Ooh, this person is somebody. And then other people will be like, Oh my God. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah. Right. But in the back <laughs> of my head, I'm like, I don't know. I did a, um, a direct TV commercial and I did not work with these two guys because it was all seat. It was all green screen, but it was, do you remember the, the spots where Eli Manning and Deion Sanders were fairies? I believe I remember this. So yes, like they were great. Little, they're like, yeah, they're like fairies, um, and they, um, they they just like it was for Directv uh, Sunday Ticket. So it was me right. and a bunch, of, and it was it was like I was one of a bunch of guys who were hanging out playing pool, watching the game, whatever. And then all of a sudden, they like Dion and Eli land on the pool table and are like, "Hey guys, you got to check out you know Sunday Ticket, whatever." So funny story about that is uh, my friend Mike Houston, who is on Orange Is the New Black. We both went in for there was a beard guy. <laughs> um and there were two roles and we both had beards and so or, or his, he I, he had a, thick, a thin beard i had a, a thicker beard we both went over these roles when we got to set we did weren't sure exactly what we were which roles we had booked and so when we got there they put they had me shave and they put on uh mike this like zz top beard that looked kind of weird <laughs> um, and it was sort of out of place. You're like, why does this man have this beard? And so part of the the spot was that Eli Manning gets flies up and gets stuck in his beard. And then I am like looking at Mike like, oh, my God, that's disgusting. And so we have this whole moment that's choreographed where, you know, there's like they put like an action figure in the beard. And that was my eyeline and, you know, whatever. And so we did all this. Sh we did all this shtick. And then when the spots came out. They cut that whole thing. But Mike still had this weird ZZ Top beard that was never really explained in the commercial. So you're just like, why does this guy have this weird ZZ Top beard in this 
commercial and uh yeah we lo and yeah. behold that was the reason they just decided to go a different direction with the commercial yeah yeah so and that's the, and that's the magic of television that um, is a little behind the scenes for you <laughs> now i got another question for you brandon about another role you played and I'm, I'm interested to figure out what or find out what your prep work was was for it and, and this was a role in the film, a short film, I should say, called Night Home with T.J. Miller, where you played oh, an Australian. Oh, okay. So that one, I went in for the audition. And before I went in, I told my agent at the time, because it was like they wanted, it was for Australian number three or whatever their role was, I forget, actually. Um, and she was like, I was like, I can't do an Australian accent. And I <laughs> could do English. And she was like, I checked with them and that's fine. So when I went into the audition, they were like, uh, I, I was like, just to remind you, like, I, I'm, I can't do an Australian accent. And they were like, oh, that's fine. Just do British. And I was like, okay. So I did my British accent and then I ended up booking it. And I was like, okay, I just want to be like doubly clear here that I can't do the accent. And they were like, that's fine. Because it was, it was only really like, it was like five lines and they were all isolated. So all I had to do was memorize those five lines um, like in an Australian accent. And I don't remember any of them except for one, which was nice teats. <laughs> right. So okay. Yeah. So I was like, cause at first I was like, everything I tried, I was like, this is like South African. Like this is maybe Irish. Like I would just, uh, yeah. And then I would just be like, let me just memorize these lines in the accent. And then that's all I, I, cause I'm not like conversing. So I didn't have to pick up the, the rhythm. You know what I mean? So it was right. just like one line here, one line there, one, you know, uh, but yeah, nice, nice teats. That's, <laughs> that's all I can do. That's all I can give you. I wasn't going to ask you to do it, but I'm glad that you did. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I can do it. I can do British if you want to hear it. The British is much better. Give me the British version. Go for it. Well, see, also with accents and dialects, I like I prefer to do like sort of perverted versions of them because it it because as a character actor, I like being able to do ones that you know I a posh British I could do I could pull off, but I prefer I prefer to do something a little bit like this. So you know, it's like. I've climbed out of the gutter and now I'm at your front door and I'm knocking on it and you're not opening it because you're scared. You're scared I might come in and hurt your family, right? And this is why I like to do this. And yeah, that I, I that's the kind of thing that I prefer to do as opposed to something nice and respectable. <laughs> you did you better tell that lady she has some nice teats before you leave though. I nice teats. Eh? <laughs> I wish I could remember the other lines. Uh, and yeah, and Thomas Middleditch was also it, the whole. That's I don't even. I don't think that ever came out. It was Thomas Middleditch, uh, T.J. Miller, like spending a night. I think it was Halloween night, like wandering around New York City, and myself. Um, and an actor named Stephen Boyer, who was on a show on NBC that's escaping me. And then another guy, we were like three Australian guys that become friends with them. It was sort of like TJ and Thomas are like going around the city, like meeting people and just having a crazy night. And we're like three Australians that sort of like, they come into like our party and we go to a strip club, hence the line. And we go to a strip club and then we party a little bit and then we 
separate or whatever. Yeah, I don't know what I don't even know that that movie ever came out, but uh, well, we're gonna demand that it does. Yeah, just for, uh, just, just for that line. Hasn't. I'm surprised it hasn't, because you know, like, because uh, both well, those there's guys. that whole thing with T.J. Miller and you know, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying when stuff like that happens, it makes it hard oh, to put yeah, out yeah, content. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. So, Never mind. You gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have like, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I am curious to, to, cause see, I'm a big fan of, of direct action at times. I'm a big fan of using your voice if you have it. Uh, and I want to talk about something cool that you did. Cause, cause we, we talked briefly about, in, uh, the cosmic quest mm-hmm. and I'll ask a little bit about that. But before I do, I, I do want to say one thing that I really like that you did with it. And, and I know we're probably pretty cool to talk about it is that you and Ryan Penagos, you went and you created an infinity war themed library. Um, you want no, to talk to me we about- did not create we did not create it just to be okay. clear okay my bad but 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 what happened was um you know there's this organization called the little free library right. and they set up all these little free libraries tiny little libraries that are like mailboxes and they can be different little sort of um homemade things um around the united states and they're really cool and it's a really great organization um and i was asked uh, to join Ryan to open one of these little free libraries that is Avengers themed um, in South LA at the Clawson Rec Center. And this, it was probably, it was one of the most um, special things that I've ever been asked to do. I got to be honest with you. Uh, because, you know, the Clawson Rec Center was such a great such a great vibe. It was dedicated to a little boy um, who who passed away, who was a member of the community. So it was really, really special. And to be able to give them all these books, um, to be able to like, you know, I I also wrote a Black Panther uh, chapter book. So that was like a big hit. And, you know, and having done all these other uh, Marvel things, like to, to walk in there and to be able to give them all of these books and, you know, and to have this also this this great big Avengers. Uh, did you see you saw the picture of what it was like the Avengers logo? Right. Um, it was just the coolest thing. And the kids could not have been greater. Um, and it was just like super, super, super special. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel featured a uh, they ran a feature on it on the uh, front page. Uh, yes. Yes. Talking about. And uh, talking about these different libraries that uh, that they had opened um, as a result of this project. So if you're definitely interested in seeing what those look like, uh, they are on uh, <coughs> they are on Marvel's website, and you can in fact uh, is it you in the photo with the uh, kids and the officer and Captain America? Uh, I think maybe there uh there there are a couple pictures of like uh, me and ryan doing stuff and i'm not sure why i forget which what's on the what's on the pay or what's on that what you're talking about 
yeah, they've got the Avengers A. There's a Captain America posing. There's an officer to the left, and then a uh, gentleman with glasses, black shirt. Am I wearing a Black Panther mask? Um, no, but there's a Black Panther mask that a young girl is wearing. That okay, and everyone's wearing Black Panther stuff. It looks okay. like okay. So. I'll have to, uh, yeah, I might be in that. Um, another thing, too, about the, you know, the Little Free Library is this great thing. Todd Bowl is the gentleman that created it. He passed away, sadly, last year. Um, but he spoke. Um, and, and, and what their whole organization about um, is just sort of inspiring creativity in kids through reading. And, uh, like, yeah, I just that whole that whole experience was really cool. And it was really I was really honored that Marvel, you know, wanted me to be a part of it. Um, and yeah, and Ryan was great. And all, all the all the Marvel people are great. Lorraine and Angelique and Langston, like all, they're like a really great crew. They're really they they're kind of awesome and they they get what Marvel's about. Um, you know, I I. <laughs> I often have this argument with people because it's like, you know, you, t- you talk about the movies that come out and, and one of the easy hit targets was was Captain America. And they talk or not Captain America, excuse me, Captain Marvel. And, and, and you know, the trolls hit on it and we're going against it and talking about oh, how it preaches this, that and the other. And it's like, you guys, I'm not sure if you've paid attention, but Spider-Man preaches Captain America preaches they all preach because in fact the people that created them were what you would call social justice warriors and Stan had a little soapbox in which he penned his social justice thoughts and I'm curious how these people plan to remove the social justice concept from warriors that are meant to fight the battles that we cannot which often end up in the social justice arena (laughs) like that's I mean that's like the whole plight of the X-Men good god right like yeah. and and, and I, I'm I'm curious, man, like how how is somebody that's written in this space like how do you approach that? Like how do you prepare for that? Like how do you how do you even absorb any kind of criticism like that? Because it seems so completely lost from the reality of what you're actually reading if you feel that way. It's like what did you think Stanley did? I don't well, know. I mean, well, the thing is, to some extent, you know, you, I, I can't let those people affect the stories that I'm telling because a lot of people are coming at from places that I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like there are people, you know, I think a lot of people come from a hurt place and a lot of people are come from damaged places where they, they, they don't know why they're acting that way. Somebody hurt them along the way and they're enacting that hurt on other people. Um, so I just have to focus on telling the story that I have to tell and uplifting where I feel like, uh, I can uplift. And I, I don't, I don't feel like calling those people out for some of the things that I, for the things that I am, the stories that I'm telling in certain, in certain veins, I don't think it does any good to, to call them out, uh, or name them. Uh, I think what, what does, what you will be able to find in my work are, uh, patterns of thought and behavior that you could possibly line up to those people. Um, but I don't want to give them any more credit or give them any, you know, free press, uh, 
more than they already get from a lot of people. You know, that's another thing too with like dealing with online stuff is that, God, the amount of harassment that happens is really, really terrible and upsetting. And um, at the same time, you know, there's this weird line of we have to combat these people, but but they also are seeking attention and we can't give them that attention. So, you know, it's I don't I don't have any answers as far as how to navigate that, because thankfully I have not dealt with like, a you know, the, the hate machine that so many other people and friends of mine have dealt with, which is really disgusting. Um, but I feel like it's, you know, I, as long as I tell the stories that I'm trying to tell put the messages and themes in there that are positive and uplifting and, and, you know, will connect to the parts of kids' brains that go, oh, oh, wait a minute. The villain of this behaves in this way, the way I see these other people behaving. Right. And that is, not, that is not the way to behave. Do you know what I mean? It's not the way I want to go. Yeah, and that's... You know, there's also that's kind of like the trick. I don't know. Uh, that's probably poor wording, but the trick of writing for kids in a lot of ways is is you know putting putting all the things, all the information in front of them and letting them make the discovery. It's not right. outright stating the theme. It's not outright being like, and now this is what it's all about. <laughs> it's allowing them to see in in the characters the good, the bad, and the ugly, and being able to pick it apart and separate it and go, okay, oh, 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 that, that character who is cruel and mean behaves that way because somebody treated them cruelly and mean. And it isn't, a, you know, finding ways to, to make people empathetic and sympathetic and understanding while also making them aware that people like that are exist and we have to do something about it. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's, yeah, I just people are terrible, but not all of them, <laughs> which is good. That's what, that, honestly, that's how I feel some days. So let's go with it. People are terrible, except our podcast listeners. But Anybody listening people, to this, you, but, you guys are exempt. That, that some people are, are are trying their best and doing well. We, you know, the, the, there's the, light we in the world, man. Can't give up the fight. Exactly. Uh, you definitely can't, man. They're like, there's got to be light in the world, and fortunately, we see examples of it every day. And uh, that's the beautiful part about it, man. If you look around you, you can find examples of people doing great things. Hello. And uh, sometimes all it takes is to just for you to, to for you to act at the right place at the right time, and and you can be a hero to someone. So that's that's really the. That's the superhero gig, right? Part of the journey is the end or something. I mean, I, I always think of it as you, we have to stay the course. You know, you can't let you can't become as 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 depressing as it, things might be or seem sometime. You have to stay the course and you have to find a way to get through it and keep going because there is. And this is also one of the themes of uh, Cosmic Quest Volume 2 is what other choice is there? There right. isn't. You have to keep going. And you have to keep doing your best because wallowing and getting consumed with the things that, you know, these are not things that will, will serve you. They will not serve other people. Um, so yeah, push forward. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that it's not difficult. It doesn't mean that, it, you know, it's going to be an easy road, but you got to do it. There's no other choice. And guys, if I can jump in here real quick, 
one of the things that I like to say about that is, you know, as hard as it is sometimes to be our best selves, the world needs us to be our best selves and to be authentic every day. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, there are some people in the world that do not want to grow. They do not want to get better. They do not want new information that will help them grow and be better. And there are some people that do. And, um, you know, sharing or writing stories and sharing stories and reading and, and uh, is a big part of connecting to other human beings and finding that you have things in common and helping you know, hopefully that's how we help each other become our best selves by sharing the pain and sharing the joy and sharing all the things that um, make us who we are. And in a kind of a strange way, I think it's that idea is more important now than ever, because like you guys are saying, we see so much of the worst of human behavior online nowadays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it can yeah, it can be it can be really difficult to manage because also when you're dealing with an online setting, you know, context is lost. You're not face to face with people. You don't know where people are coming from. You don't they're not in front of you. They're they can be online anybody they want to be. They can be um, you know, rude, they can be they 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 can hide. And it can be difficult to know uh where people are coming from and what their deal is. And that makes it really, it's really difficult to navigate. Um, and I don't, yeah, I don't have any answers about how to do that other than to try to remember that, you know, I feel like it's better for me to remember what I'm doing than to try to deal with other people's stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I try not to amplify voices that, uh, don't need to be amplified as a rule. You know, there doesn't, we don't, you know, other people can pile on and do all kinds of things. Like, I feel like let's not even give those people any press for free. Uh, not even to make fun of them or to joke about them. doesn't mean that I haven't done that before, but like, you know, sometimes people are so gross that it's like, I don't even want to get near that. Um, yeah. It all comes down to the choices that, each one of us make every day and we all have choices whether we realize it or not we can choose how we show up in the world and it's like i said it's more important now than ever to make that right choice every day and realize that you have it anyway yeah just, just no. my two cents i'll let you guys move on from here no, that's absolutely true. That's we all we all have a choice. And I always, you know, I find, you know, having anxiety and things like that where I can get overwhelmed by it all. Um and in an effort to not, you know, it can cloud me. It can cloud the way that I move through the world. It can cloud my self-image and I can you know, go in places that are not that do not serve me. But there's this mantra that I feel like I don't know, mantra might not be the right word, but um just sometimes saying like tomorrow is a new day uh, can free me from the burden of whatever I experienced uh, during the day and allow me to wake up the next day choosing a better or a nicer path or a kinder path, whatever it is that I, you know um, so yeah, 
Tomorrow's a new day. It sounds so simple, but if you're having if you're having a day, uh, it's true. Yeah, it's very true. Like you know, we wake up every morning and we have the ability to hit the reset button as soon as we wake up. You know what I mean? And that's one of the things I sort of apply to my life. Like if I've had a bad day at work, I'm just like, all right, new day, move on, and that's it. You know, and and going back to you know what Scotty was saying about making choices as well and you also touched on it in terms of like dealing with trolls online especially on twitter for instance the thing is that what people sometimes fail to realize is that we as the individual as the owner of a smartphone we're the ones who have to be intelligent enough to go you know what i don't have to answer to this person i don't have to respond to that that tweet i can either i can block it or I can just mute it, or I can just I can just ignore it, and you can even just put the phone down. And I think we've become so, in many ways, slaves to these phones that, at times, and I, and I know I've been guilty of it too. Like it's just, it's just easy. you sometimes forget you can just put turn the phone off. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think it's important for people to remember that. And I've, I have I have a job where I have a lot of young staff working under me, and. And I'm, I'm 42, so I see the age difference, obviously, and I see the usage of their phones and, and, and the things that they're dealing with and whatnot and just a different whole demographic altogether. And it's just like I tell them, I say, look, you know, you guys can just put the phone down. You know, you don't have to be a slave to it. And I think that's important for people to remember. I, I worry. I really do worry because last night my partner and I were out to dinner and there was a – there were these two little boys and their parents just were like, you know, trying to have a dinner with some other friends and they just gave them devices. And mm-hmm. these were like, I want to say they were like four, three or four and they were glued. And when they, when things happened on the phones that they didn't like, they were getting upset. And it just, when you're do, when you're giving a kid a device that young, it's really affecting them in a, in a negative way. And I, and I don't know that, everybody truly knows how damaging it is and will be to future generations. You know, I think, I think some people go, Oh, well it's fine. You know, like a lot of things in society that we, that people, people are like, well, we like it. So we'll just accept it. And then 20, 30 years later, they're like, Oh, smoking is terrible. Oh, but it was so much fun. Oh, we're going to die. Great. So like with phones, I think a lot of those things will come back along, you know, in later 10, 20 years where there's going to be generations of kids who are, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the end result will be, but it might not be, uh, they're going to have a problem. Mm, generations of kids who don't know how to read a, don't know what a book is. <laughs> that's, that's one thing. Or how to talk to each yeah. other. Mm. Yeah. Yep, that too. You know, you like you, what you just touched on there, Brandon, with like the, the parents just giving kids devices out for meals. Like, I come from a hospitality background, so I've seen that happen over the course of the last 10, 20 years. You know what I mean? And yeah. it, it, I find it very jarring because, like, I'll see a family sit down and it's mom, dad, two kids, and they don't, they don't, there's no talking, there's no communication, there's no enjoying that meal as a family because the kids have their head, like you said, buried in a tablet or, or, a, or, a, game, or a phone or a Game Boy or whatever. And the, and the parents are just 
aren't even talking sometimes either. You know what I mean? It's just like yeah. that's that's damaging. I don't I don't care how if you look at it from a basic level or like if someone eventually will do a study on it. That that, it, that is damaging, I think, and like yeah, I, I disagree with it wholeheartedly. And I don't have kids, but mm-hmm. I know that if if that time does come, there's not going to be any like of that sort of business going on at the table. You know what I mean? Like it's a small thing, but for me, I've been, it's, I've held on to it for a long time. And you, it's funny that you brought it up. Well, it's, I think it also just affects everybody's attention spans in really negative ways. There was a, a documentary that I watched recently um, called Streetwise about um, these homeless kids. I want to say it was Portland or Seattle. I think it was maybe Seattle and it was in the seventies. And there were a lot of there was a lot of footage of <clears throat> people like congregating in public spaces. And when you watch it, it's kind of astounding because if you were to watch some uh, uh, footage of people congregating in public spaces now, everyone is on their phones. It's second mm-hmm. nature. But to see footage from the seventies of people in public spaces. Engage, everyone was engaging with one another, every single person, um, because that's what people use those spaces for. And mm. it was kind of like, oh, my God, like I haven't you just don't see that. Like even at a restaurant and things, you'll see people talking, but there's still people on their phones, you know, public spaces and parks and things like that. Like, uh, you know, in the past, in these in this film, like it, just the depiction of human interaction was so different than what it is now that it was kind of jarring to watch. Cause I, you know, you, you, you understand that people like, you're like, Oh, well, yeah, we are on our phones more, but like, Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, it's the same thing as, you know, sometimes I'll be on the subway and I'll look up from my phone and you look around the train car and you're like, everybody else is on their phone. Every other person is on their phone right now. We're all on our phone. Nobody is looking at each other unless a crazy person gets on the train and starts doing something crazy. Um, <laughs> I'm not on my phone. I'm on my tablet. Mm. That allows me to read books. I yeah. can't do that crap on a phone, but I bring my tablet with me everywhere, so there's no difference. Yeah, I'm just a guy on the larger device. A guy on the larger device, as they say. I'm, <laughs> I'm over 6'5", so like... <clears throat> Oh my god! Yeah, I don't. I like reading on phones. It's it's like a. It's hard for me to hold most phones unless I get the plus. And the last phone I was I was in a position to be able to pick up happened to be uh, the X. So it's it's not very. I mean, it's it's a good size screen, but it's I can't I <laughs> I can't read on that crap. Like I'm I'm blinder than a bat. I had my retina detached. I've had a couple surgeries. Like. I have no vision, um, <clears throat> so I got to use the tablet. So I have a tablet that I use, and, and I bring that with me everywhere, and it's loaded full of comic books and your books, Brandon, as well. Go on. <laughs> so I take that with me everywhere. That's my reading tool. It's like it's it's I I think it's tantamount to taking a, a book with me. But I realize it's still putting my face in front of a screen and not talking to another person. You know, I'm just doing it in a different, in my mind, more sophisticated way, you know, because I have to be that person. I have to be like, oh, everybody else is using their phone. Well, I'm using a tablet, you know. Well, as long as you 
as long as you're aware of your usage and you know if if you find yourself in a situation where you're like i need to limit this like take breaks from it like oh yeah, yeah just- i do i just did that the other day man like i was sitting there and i and i must have checked my phone like five times in a row and like twitter wasn't moving and i'm like dude you have things that you could be doing right now and instead you're sitting here refreshing it, waiting for a world to pop up when when the world's right right around you you know you've got two people you could talk to like and yeah. and, and and you're sitting here reading Nothing, literally nothing. You're reading the same information you read five minutes ago. It's time to put the screen down and 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 go and do something. Go be active. I have two yeah. huskies, so they kind of make it easy. They get real antsy, and they're like, we want to go do something, Dad. Yeah. So, well, Adam, <clears throat> Scotty, actually, did you have any questions for Brandon before we close this shop down? No. Okay. Sometimes you get in there, sometimes you don't. It's always it's always worth an ask, right, Scotty? <laughs> exactly. I just like the social commentary. That's what we do here. That's what we do here on this podcast. I like a conversation. Yes. Yeah, I, I I I have found in my years of podcasting. I mean, I've I've podcast with and interviewed many different people. Like I've interviewed UFC champions. I've inter- like I've interviewed Ronda Rousey. I've interviewed, <laughs> you know, like I've got some interviews under my belt too. But I have found that the best interviews I have are not necessarily with like these huge names. And I'm not saying that they aren't. I'm How just saying dare style. You. No, 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 no. I'm saying the style of interview that How I have. Dare you. Um, <laughs> the style of interview that I most prefer, and it doesn't matter who it's with. Uh, the style that I most prefer is a conversation like because yeah. like sometimes with people like with and this is a this isn't me saying anything about you or anyone else like but like with Ronda Rousey and this is no knock against her like I had a time limit and like I'm not BSing you like there was somebody there like you know like you had 15 minutes <laughs> and that was that Um <clears throat> So, you you know, like you, how much conversation can you really have in that time? You know, not much. Uh, Whereas other times, you know, you get somebody who's like, I've got the time to give you if you want to have a conversation. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Josh, why are you calling a guest a peon, man? I wasn't. I was (laughs) calling, I was calling some of these other people (laughs) snobs. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm giving you a hard time, dude. You're the peon. (laughs) <laughs> hey no guys, I'm, guys, guys, I'm the capital guys, P guys, producer on. baby <laughs> yeah don't yeah. Piss, don't piss off your producer that's bad. right right don't do that one thing that <laughs> what was that I think it was like dead mouse said that thing to to those girls like don't piss off the guy who does shit was like a dead mouse tweet from a long time ago um but uh but not that I, real not quick that into that but guy before we get out of here i might have told this story on the podcast before but brandon when you were talking about cell phones it always makes me think of this story that uh, a member of my own family told uh once i've got a cousin that lives in nevada and she and her husband were out to eat with another couple and 
they were at this diner. They were having a great conversation. And then all of a sudden, they stopped and realized that they were the only ones talking in this entire restaurant. Oh, wow. Everybody else was on their phones. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's like... I also find that sometimes, too, like people taking pictures of their food has become... I like, never really, understood that one. I, I mean, it, it's also because I find that sometimes I'm like, there, it's, it's more of like a... It seems like more of a chronicle, which I find to be an odd choice because it's not like people go out of their way to like, um, uh, you know, make it look incredible. You know what I mean? Like nobody's like, let me make sure this parsley is great. No, it's just like a plate of food. There's nothing about it aesthetically that is necessarily incredible. Uh, but people are just chronicling dinner in a way where I'm like, this is unnecessary. I think, I think, I think that's a, a a direct result of when pictures first came out and people would take pictures of beers to show their friends like that they were having a good time and that they weren't. I think this is like, I don't know if I, it's like a sister of that, a brother, a sister or something like they're, they're definitely related. Posting your food and posting your beverage are definitely in the same family. But I, but I see people posting pictures of their drinks and I'm like, Congratulations! You can walk up to a bartender and order a drink. Like I, think I don't mean. I think it's like you know sometimes for some people like a drink thing. You know, it, I think there's like sometimes with me it, the meaning changes, right? So it's like this image of this glass represents the end of my experience at this job that I just had, and I'm having right. whatever. So there's elements like that where I'm like, got it, cool. But then other times people are like, that's the pattern where it's like another Friday or, you know, whatever. And it's like, it's just that thing. And I'm like, okay, I feel like maybe your curation is off a little bit, <laughs> but I see what you're doing, I guess. See, um, my friend, it was like, hey, it's Monday, it's Tuesday, it's Wednesday. And I'm like, so you're just basically saying it's a day, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> Well, everybody also, you know, everybody thinks that they are a photographer. Mm. I mean, you know, and it's not to say that people can't be amateur photographers, but, um, you know, it's that thing of like everybody also like thinks that they have an audience. Right. So whether that is your friends, whether it's whoever, you know, you don't have to be an influencer. You can just be a regular person, but you're going about your social media presence as if you were you know, uh, an influencer or something, you know? So for some people it's like they're experimenting with art, right? With other people, they're like trying to be or build something, but they're not really, you know, what is the content? Is it just pictures of you toasting? Is it just pictures of the sunset or, you know, whatever that is, but their phrasing will be like, you know, you know, some random quote, you know, and it's hard because you never know what's behind any of it. You know, I know people who, he watched their social media and you're like, that's funny because you're very miserable and none of <laughs> this is miserable content. Um, or you think like sometimes like for me, like I don't, I just post when I'm motivated to, I try not to be, I try not to feel beholden unless I'm like doing some press for something. I try not to feel beholden to post 
all the time because that that has something that I've done in the past where I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, I need to make a joke about this or I need to blah, 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 where it's like, no, unless I feel really compelled to do something, I don't want to feel like I have to do it the way that you know, if something happens like, you know, in the news cycle, there was something in the news cycle yesterday and everyone in there in the entire world was like, I'm going to say something. And I'm like, yeah, I don't need to say anything here. Yeah, um, I, I kind of left but it I still alone have sometimes too. impulses to do that and like get in there. And I'm like, no, it's better if I sit over here and watch. Yeah. I think I think we all know what you're referring to because I felt the same way as well. Yeah, I was at the end of the day, I asked myself, what am I really contributing to this conversation? Like That's a good question to always of, ask. Most of what I have are questions. And, and 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 what I've noticed is that when you have a certain amount of following on on Twitter and and you know, most of us in this conversation know what, what I'm saying here. When you have a certain size following on Twitter, Scotty doesn't do Twitter really. He he barely so he I'm doesn't. trying. He's trying, but 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 like Adam, myself, you, you know, we're all verified. We all have I'm not saying this to put us up on a pedestal. I'm just saying you start to get a certain amount of interactions and you can't even ask questions because people will think like, oh, he's asking this question because he believes. No, bitch, I'm asking that question because that's the first thing that came to my mind. Like you can't you can't even do some of the most innocent things anymore because people feel that like, oh, that definitely means this. And it's like, what? Yeah. In all the years that you've been following me, have I ever not just said what's what? Like you think I'm going to sit here and be like, do, 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 do. I mean, for, for God's sakes, before Spider-Man far from comb came out, I kept tweeting pictures of scrolls. Like I was like, Hmm, it'd be real funny if this happened in a movie. Like I'm telling you what's happening. I think I, I hope everyone's seen Spider-Man far from home. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have, are, but I know what you're talking Brandon, about. Brandon, you know, you, you if you work in the industry, I don't care about you, unfortunately. Like, you? That's well, <laughs> you're like me. If I've got something spoiled, like I get people who don't just like because I, I, you know, report on some of this stuff too. People just tell me these things like months in advance. I knew what happened at the end of Spider Man Far From Home. Well, and I'm just know, like, you know, I got to. I, I got to say this, going back to like stuff about writing, is that I used to get so excited to find out secrets. When I read right? The Dark Knight Rises, I was like, oh, my God. When I read any of the things that I – any of the scripts that I've read, I've been like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. But now I've reached this point where, yeah, I'm excited to read stuff, but I'm also like, oh, man, I just want to go in and be surprised. I don't want to have to know what happens because I want to have the film. I want to have the experience that the film is promising me. I don't want to go. Yeah, I know they end up here or this person comes in at the end or, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, and that's one of the things that we, you know, with like Endgame was really great because I was like, Oh, there was all these things that I was like, I I try not to pay attention to certain things because I was like, I don't want to be spoiled. I want to know I don't want to know what happens. I want to just go in and have a nice experience where I'm not second guessing. Um, but it's also at the same time difficult for, because my writer brain will often tell me what's going to happen. 
So yeah. I'll be like, oh, like I'm not gonna get into spoilers, but when when I when when uh, Hawkeye and Black Widow were like, we're gonna go to Vormir, immediately I was like, all right, oh, <laughs> I know how this is ending. Like because my writer brain is like that would be the thing. And that's, that's the thing to do it <laughs> like yeah and i hate that sometimes because i because i'm try i try to i want to watch things without going huh oh what do i don't know about this story how'd they put this together so yeah a lot of structure in that too like if you follow that writing structure it's like i'll see a television show and like within 15 minutes i'm like that that guy that girl did it and they're like how do you how but how can you tell and i'm like it's the writing it's the mm. writing. It's the way yeah. it's structured. It's the way they present this person. It's the way this person's been in the background of a scene four different times. Obviously, that means something. Well, well a lot of times with television, too, people hit upon, you know, formulas. Yeah. And if it if it's something that works, people are afraid to ever abandon it or tweak it. Because they're like, well, it works and we want to make money and we want to have the show on I, for three years. So we're going to just stick to it. I and, just was stunned yeah. by the amount of people. Sorry. I was stunned by the amount of people because this kind of plays into what you're saying. Maybe you can answer this, too, that 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 when they went and saw Infinity War and they were like, I can't believe it ended like that. And I'm like, what? Well, you also have to think about a couple things with that. One is there are people that only know those characters from the movies. So like we could go into it going, I know about the history of the comic books and I know about the infinite. I know all these other elements. Also younger people, um, I being in the movies, being in the theater of, uh, watching infinity war and went and having younger people gasp and like girls that were crying when Spider-Man died, you have to realize too, that like people don't have the same sort of, um, uh, uh, I, I don't know that cynical view is the right word, but it's like we know because we've seen it, we've done it, we've consumed so much in the way of story and these characters over decades and decades um, that we can see things like this coming because we just like we know it. Um, and then there are other people who are like, but this, but this is people who knew this was a two part movie. Anytime really? you have a two part movie, it always ends on a cliffhanger. It ends with, with the bad guy seemingly having one. I mean, this goes back to the days of, of the 15 minute serials in movie theaters, you know, that, that literally ended on cliffhangers and such mm -hmm. like this goes back to the dawn of time and people were walking out of there and Endgame going, I can't believe that happened. Like this is the most basic of storytelling plots. And you're telling me you were fooled by it. Yeah. Why I need to start selling you real estate. Do it. <laughs> all, all in all guys, I think with our discussion about social media and everything, you guys are proving my point that I've been making for a while that is never going to happen, but that I think it's Twitter at least should really be limited to people in the industry and journalists. So it kind of becomes like a quasi, um, wire service. 
the problem with that is it becomes an echo chamber, and t- journalists have no reason to continue to post if if average people aren't seeing it. Like, well, no, they average people could become basically they just LinkedIn. tweet. Well, then it becomes LinkedIn. <laughs> okay, I mean. Where you have where you have people who can make posts and people can read them and leave small comments, but yeah, I don't know. I like I like the openness of Twitter, man. It reminds me truthfully of like the IRC or AOL chat days. And there will be so many people who remember those even when I say that now. But like AOL user chats were just the greatest because you could have anyone in there and there was a chat for anything, man. Like, <clears throat> I mean, or our, our, the chat that I hung out uh, in a lot back in the day was, 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 was pretty famous. It ended up on the news on Nightline. There were, there were a lot of weird stuff happened in that chat room, man, but it was located. The chat was Orange County, California. So <laughs> you had people from like all over Orange County to LA that were in that chat and any person could be a regular. So you can imagine the type of BS that would happen over the course of like seven or eight years with an online forum strictly comprised of people from places like Anaheim Hills or like Long Beach. Like there were some parties, there were some conversations, there were some hookups and there was some drama. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, because it was Orange County, a lot of things wound up in the news. Thus the chat became a little infamous, but I think it reminds me of those days, man. Twitter, it's the Wild West. And, and I I don't necessarily like it for what we've seen out of, you know, Dayton and, and El Paso. I hate, I hate that part of it. But the part where I got to ask Palm Clemente what the hell she was doing with her hands before that final fight with Thanos. And, and she answered, like... That's the part that's amazing, right? Like, Adam, right? The part where you reach out to Vincent D'Onofrio and he's like, yeah, I'm serious. I'll come on your podcast. Like, in what other world does that happen? Correct. Where do that's, you, that's, where do you, I get you, Loki. Good boy. <laughs> in what other world does that happen? Where do you just go up to Vincent D'Onofrio and you're like, hey, man, you want to come on my podcast? <laughs> Like yeah. that's what I love about Twitter, dude. You could I can reach out to Brandon and do stuff like this. Fair of course, enough. we have to run it through editors and make sure everything's on the up and up and avoid certain subjects. But we can still have this conversation. Hmm. It limits that scope of 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 and and brings other people together to do positive things. And that's sort of what I love about it. You get to have a fun of, like this. A lot of people are already calling this the best episode of the podcast ever. They are. <laughs> in fact, in fact, I just overheard five hipsters in a coffee shop, and they were definitely talking about this podcast, this episode. I love, I, I love that band, and nobody's <laughs> even heard of it, heard it yet. I know, yeah. I know. That's how good it is. People are already tweeting. <laughs> the, we're going to be trending before we hang up. But uh, man, can we have Brandon back on the podcast every week? We definitely, we're definitely going to make it happen. <laughs> 
We'll uh, we'll definitely have to have him back on. If nothing else, we'll do a sketch comedy episode. I'll have Adam write it, and we'll have Brandon on to perform, and we'll we'll just do something ludicrous on our podcast and make it a sketch comedy episode. I, I'm I'll sure we can pull during, it off. Uh, I'll come in during sweeps week. Ooh, I remember, like that. You remember like television sweeps week? Oh yeah, where it was like. On like every like whatever season of television where it was like sweeps week was like where they would always have like crazy cliffhangers or, you know, they would do crazy things before they would go on a hiatus. Who shot Jr. That makes me feel so old that I am like, you know, sweeps. Uh, you remember television, right? It was uh, people would tune in every week. Uh, no, you, you had to wait. You had to wait. You had to watch it live. Yeah, they're like, what's live television? All ten episodes just went up on Netflix. Yeah, people do not know, <laughs> dude. If we're gonna have an episode of Do Not Know, then I expressly demand that we have to go through the pains of trying to wrap foil around the antenna to improve improve performance. And the Ooh. very very real joke that Married with Children had called Fox viewing positions that was absolutely true. Like you had to do so much crazy crap to get Fox when it first started out as a network. Like it was so ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Any any of the kids shows that they had, like X Men and such, uh, it was it was horrible. I, I demand we talk about that one day. We can we can talk about it one day, I promise. So, Brandon, before we let you get out of here, we'd like to do a thing where uh, anything that we've not covered that you would like to bring attention to upcoming. And this is this is a situation where if you can talk about it, go ahead, not pressing you to bring up information. You can't talk about it. But if you do have some projects or some uh, things that you want to draw fans attention to, go ahead and also let them know where they can connect with you on social media. So uh, I there are a couple things that I like have have that should be announced in like the next month. It keeps getting pushed back that I that I'm really excited about that it will be really cool. Um, so oh God, I wish to talk about that. it. But, but anyway, but but so keep an eye out for that. Um, I, I you can find me at at Brandon B R A N D O N T S N I. D E R Brandon T Snyder on all platforms. Um, there are two things I can tell you about that I'm doing that will be out next year. There is a series that penguin does called who is, um, if you've been to the bookstore, you'll see, they all have these, um, this sort of like bobble, this sort of uniform cover where the, the, the characters have are bobbleheads, but it's, but it's, uh, it's like historical figures. So it's like, who is George Washington? Who is Nelson Mandela? Who? But then also pop culture figures like, who is Madonna or Bono? You know, all kinds of things. But they have a spinoff series called What is the Story of? Which are biographies on, uh, this is for young readers, for uh, biographies of fictional characters. And so next year I have two of those coming out. What is the story of Princess Leia? And what is the story of Black Panther? Um, And I, I just turned in what is the story of Black Panther and, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's for eight year olds. So there is this thing of like, 
you know, trying to come through the history of the character and comic books and pop culture and the cultural significance of certain things and trying to really make sure that, um, you know, it's all accessible to an eight-year-old, which is a, a huge challenge, but it's also a great honor to be, uh, to have been able to write these things. So those will be out next year. Um, I have two young readers, Batman animated stories that will be out next year, early 2020. Um, one of them it features Batwoman as a guest star, and the other one features Batwing as a guest star. So those are all the things that I can talk about. And if you follow me on social media, you'll see the other things when I can finally talk about them. And, and we'll, we'll harass you and bring you back on when you can talk about them. Absolutely. So, well, Adam, any final words from you, sir? Uh, I just want to thank Brandon for uh, coming on the show and uh, being so generous with his time and uh, talking about a plethora of different things. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, like the other boys, I look forward to having you back on in the future. It'll be, be a good time. Thank you yeah. so much for having me. I had a great time. It's Absolutely. definitely been one of the most fun podcasts that uh, we've done. It's certainly, it's certainly taken its own twists and turns, like I said, which I enjoy. So that's the, those kind of people I'm eager to get back on. There's bound to be some hilarious shit that happens down the line, and we're going to want to discuss it. So uh, for producer Scotty, who also has his own podcast out now. Scott, uh, why don't you take five seconds and tell the people where to find that? Five seconds, that's all I get? Dude, no. you're lucky. We, we we had budgeted you two seconds, but I argued. <laughs> I argued with the producer of this podcast to get you an extra three seconds. Oh, thanks, Josh. I really appreciate it. You're supposed to say I am the producer of this podcast, Yes, Josh. and I am the producer of the podcast, so <laughs> I should... I could take 20 minutes if I wanted to, but I won't. Yes, I am the host of a brand new sports and motivation podcast called Beyond the Bright Lights. And every week I interview a athlete, an athlete or somebody in sports media or the employee of a team and find out what kind of adversity that they've gone through in their lives and talk to them about how the life lessons that they've learned through sports, Brandon's favorite subject, I love them, has <laughs> helped them get to where they are today. And I also share a little bit about the wisdom that I've learned through my own life struggles through the lens of famous quotes by different sports figures. So if you are so inclined, feel free to check it out. It is Beyond the Bright Lights. And do check out Scotty's stuff if you're into sports talk and motivation. I've known Scotty for a good number of years, and I can tell you he is as good of a gent as they come. He is always there for people, and uh, he's a special kind of guy, man. I, I, I love Scotty. I've worked with him since sports, and uh, we've come a long way. <laughs> we we started out in this industry so almost somewhat together, and we're here now, so... You know, it's a it's it's a little bit of slugging forward every day, which I suppose is the theme of this episode. So it works out well. Exactly. So for Brandon, 
I just want to say thank you so much. It has been a pleasure, and uh, we're definitely going to have you back on. Uh, I just want to say thanks to everyone who's listening, and we will be back next week here on Third Nerd. So peace out, folks.